NFL wildcard weekend line moves Suma. I know that when it comes to handicapping the playoffs on one hand, we're looking at the matchups on the field. Also an interesting dynamic this time of year, handicapping the betting market. And I'd love to get your thoughts on that to lay the foundation here, because with fewer games on the board, I get the sense that the market trends toward efficiency much quicker. So on one hand, you might be in a hurry if you're looking to bet playoff games. And on the other hand, Public money about as influential as any time on the sports betting calendar. The public tends to bet late. So in some cases, you might want to hurry up and wait. How do you go about trying to time market entry as you're also analyzing these playoff matchups at the same time? Um, it's basically the same as always for me. Um, you're making a good point that we are looking at six standalone, standalone games and not like 14 to, to 16 games. Um, so the there are more eyes on less games when it comes to the NFL playoffs. But I think in terms of market involvement throughout the week and uh, trying to time your bets, nothing really changes uh, from the um, regular season, at least for me. Speaking of things not changing too much from the regular season, as you said, six games on this super wildcard weekend. All six of them rematches from the regular season. Four of them rematches from games that we've seen in just about the past month going back to week 15. Suma, let's kick it off. Saturday afternoon, San Francisco hosting Seattle. The Niners a 10-point favorite, total of 43. And the side in this one has seen some interesting movement after a soft opener of minus 6.5 for the 49ers. I think, in fairness, we can probably refer to the true opener where people could get down real bets and there was some true availability for a number on the Niners. That true opener, probably more accurate to say San Francisco, minus 9.5. And, and even from there, we've seen this line go up to 10.5, drop back down to 10. What do you make of the two-way action we've seen on the Seahawks at the Niners? Yeah, I think that the two-way action told us that at least for now, there is a clear buy point of San Francisco minus 9.5 and Seattle plus 10.5. So I would guess that uh, most, or let's say the consensus of the early betting action makes this game around um, a flat 10. So um, 49ers minus 9.5, got bet up and then yesterday and I think also early this morning uh, all the Seattle ten and halves got eaten up we had this game as you mentioned um, a few weeks back and San Francisco closed I think minus 3, minus 120 something like that on the road at Seattle it was I think the first NFL road game for Brock, for Brock Purdy um, and back in that time frame, I think that our opinion on the Seattle Seahawks was still a little bit higher. And um, first NFL road game, short week for a seventh round rookie at quarterback who was also dealing with some rib injuries. Uh, so I think that was a spot where, where a lot of bettors like the home dog and also bet the home dog prior to close. And now we are looking at a seven-point adjustments uh, and also a switch of home field uh, venue. Um, I think if you put everything together, San Francisco has been the best team over the second half of the season and Seattle is completely fading. Um, over the past eight weeks, Seattle is three and five and two of those uh, three wins came against the Los Angeles Rams with John Walford 
and Baker Mayfield, and both games were absolute nail biters. So there's really nothing over the second half of the season that CL has shown us, uh, except for uh, some consistent above-average quarterback play from Junior Smith, but also not like in like in every week. So, and my third argument for why this spread has shifted so drastically is that the Niners completely dominated the Seahawks twice already this year. Uh, it was in week two uh, with in the game where Trey Lance got got hurt, and then, like mm-hmm. I said, a, a few few weeks back. So. San Francisco, much better team, dominated the Seahawks twice. They are at home. Seahawks are fading. This makes a lot of sense why this game uh, has reopened close to 10. And I think if if we don't see anything drastically, maybe from a weather perspective or something like that, I would expect this to be a battle around the 10. And um, yeah, um, it would be interesting to see how Brock Purdy in his first ever playoff game as a seventh round Rookie, Mister Mister Irrelevant, um, fares in this in this big stage on this big stage. You touched on it, Brock Purdy, Mister Irrelevant, a double digit favorite on Wild Card Weekend, and from Mister Irrelevant to two of the more prominent young quarterbacks in the NFL, based on their production and their draft positioning. Chargers at the Jags on Saturday night. Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence taking center stage. This one, much more of a coin toss. In fact, it's lined at Pickham right now, total 47 and a half. Suma, when we look at the side in this one, similar to Seahawks Niners, we saw a soft opener as opposed to a true opener. I think the soft opener had the Chargers almost favored by a field goal. Some sharper books open in the range of Pickham, but we still saw some two-way action. The openers of Pickham at some sharper market-making books did shoot up to Chargers minus two. They have since crashed back down to the Pickham range. What do you make of another game in which we've seen two-way action early on in the wildcard weekend betting cycle? Yeah, when it comes to this game, I think that, first of all, there will be or there were people who like the Jaguars as a home dog against the Chargers traveling across the country. Chargers played at Denver last week, traveling back to LA, getting preparation for that wildcard matchup, which is already on Saturday. So Denver, LA, back to Florida on Saturday, arguably the, um, I think it's the second or third uh, biggest travel within the NFL. And they are facing a Jaguars team that has really surprised us all the season with a top 10-ish kind of passing offense at times. But I think when it comes to the Chargers, we have to make a few subtle adjustments. And that is applying context to their season. They were without Mike Williams and Keenan Allen for, I think, around 10 weeks of the season. No Joey Bosa for another 15 weeks. No Rashawn Slater for another 16 weeks, who might be back for the playoffs. Um <laughs> Also, right tackle Trey Pipkins missed, I think, four games. And now we are looking at a Chargers team that is almost completely healthy on offense, except for Roshan Slater. Mike Williams got banged up in his back at Denver, but he is supposed to be ready to play this week. And then on the other side, we are looking at a defense that has gotten significantly better, that now has a very dangerous edge tandem with Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack and Kyle Van Noy. And they are facing a Jaguars offensive line without their starting left tackle, Cam Robinson. And a Jaguars offense that is able to scheme a lot of things open, 
especially over the middle of the field, but they don't really have the offense to attack any kind of weakness that the Chargers have. They are not super good at, at running the football, and their wide receivers are not the guys who consistently get open against man coverage, for example. And I think that the Chargers have the secondary to match up with Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, and Marvin Jones, and, and, and also um, Zay Jones, and they can get pressure on Trevor Lawrence. So, so I think this is not the greatest matchup for the, for the Jaguars. And on the other side, the Chargers offense, I have some reservations about them, especially when it comes to their offensive coordinator. But I think that they have too much challenge for this state of the Jaguars defense. And when you put everything together, in my opinion, I, th I also think in the opinion of the betting market that the Chargers are the better team here. And I think if we get my or positive Mike Williams news at the end of the week, I would not be surprised to see a little bit more Charters money and they fit um, close somewhere in the short favorite minus one, minus one and a half kind of range. Sounds like Fabian's forecast may have arrived a little bit early on today's <laughs> episode, but we've got a few more games that we can touch on as well. A triple header on Sunday, game one, Miami at Buffalo. Bill's currently laying anywhere from 10 and a half to 11. I think some of the 11s uh, have been, or excuse me, some of the 10 and a halfs have been coming toward 11. I don't know if there's any recent news out of Miami in terms of the quarterback situation. Of course, the total also affected by the Dolphins quarterback uncertainty. Currently, the total between the Dolphins and the Bills sitting at 44 and a half. Suma, the side in this one had been still as a statue. Now it's kind of ping-ponging back and forth between 10 and a half and 11 at some of the market-making books. Do you think we're pretty much locked into that range until we get news on the Dolphins quarterback situation? And then from there, is it a safe bet that this line, just because it's in the range of 10 and a half to 11 right now, most likely isn't going to close 10 and a half or 11 as soon as we know who's going to be under center for the Dolphins on Sunday? So from my point of view, this spread of, I'm looking at 10 and a half at Chris, 10 and a half at, at Circa, this spread is saying to me that it's like 60, 70% or let's say 60% Teddy Bridgewater, 30% Skylar Thompson, but less than 10% um, to attack by lower. Attack by lower is in the stage three of the concussion protocol. It needs to be cleared from three independent um, doctors to start practicing with contact. I don't know whether that's going to happen. I think it's unlikely that it will happen. Teddy Bridgewater was active last week. He had another week to get ready with his uh, dislocated pinky finger. Uh, so I think it's currently that Teddy Bridgewater is the front runner to start, but I would not rule out Skylar Thompson to maybe jump into the mix. So this line right now is a, we are leaning towards Teddy with a chance that Tyler, uh, Skylar uh, Thompson starts. I think if it's Teddy, we might see action towards the 10. If it's Skylar Thompson, I think we will see more Bills money. We won't see anything in the 14 range, in my opinion. But I think Teddy, a little bit of Dolphins money, Bills, uh, Skylar Thompson, Bills money. And if for whatever reason Tua Tagovailoa plays, I think we will see a lot more Dolphins money. But I don't expect a closer of what we saw like three weeks ago when the Bills closed around the, I think, minus seven it was against Tua in a crazy uh, wind and uh, snow game. 
because Tua is coming off two days or three uh, three weeks not having any significant football activities. He should be rusty. We don't know how he reacts to that concussion. So I, I don't see any closing line near what we saw if, a few weeks back. Yes, uh, to cut a long story short, Skylar Thompson, more Bills money, Dolphins, uh, uh, Teddy Bridgewater, a little bit more Dolphins money, and I don't expect to attack by Lord to play. And if we look at the total, probably a similar concept here, an opener of 43 and a half up to 44 and a half. So maybe that's an indication of Bridgewater being more likely than Thompson, as you had suggested. Is it a similar case like the point spread where for the total, if we get Bridgewater confirmation, this total has room to bump up a bit more. And if it's Skylar Thompson, then we might see it go back toward or even through that opener of 43 and a half. Yes, yes, I think so. Um, spread and total should be correlated depending on the uh, quarterback decision. And with Skyler, we should see more under money. And which, with Bridgewater, we will probably see it sort of moving in the range of 44 to 45. Fortunately, we do know who's going to be under center game two on Sunday when the Giants travel to Minnesota for a rematch from a nail biter on Christmas Eve. This time around the Vikings, a three point favorite at home, total of 48 and a half. Suma, this side opened Minnesota minus two and a half, but it is now locked on three across the board. And tell me if I'm wrong, but I kind of feel like Vikings minus three at that key number to me, feels like that perhaps is the spread of all games on the board this week that is least likely to move between now and kickoff. Yeah, uh, tough to say whether we are going to see more waves of Giants money or Vikings money. If I had to guess, also, or if you put me on the spot, I would tend towards Giants money. This game was played on Christmas Eve, I guess, and the Vikings closed minus four and a half in that game. Um, the Vikings got outplayed by the Giants. They needed like a, a like two Giants turnovers in Vikings territory and a 61 or something field goal late with time expiring to win by three against the Giants. So we have the data point of Giants outplaying the Vikings in that particular matchup. We have another data point of the Vikings getting absolutely smoked by the Packers and the, and the Giants taking care of business against the Colts. And week 18 basically should not count when we look at both teams over the course of the season. So since then, we have positive performances from the Giants, not so great performances from the Vikings. And also on the injury side, we have some changes. Um, the, the Vikings lost their, let's say, backup slash starting center, Schlottmann. I don't know whether Gary Bradbury will be back this week. And they lost their starting right tackle, Brian O'Neill, who is one of the better starting right tackles in the league. Arguably a borderline top 10 guy. And the Giants might get Dory Jackson, their best cornerback back. So the Giants have looked better. They are healthier than in the last game. So I think the adjustment towards three might not be fully enough from my point of view, but this one being three is very logical and makes much sense. And I think if we look at the nightcap on Sunday, the spread makes a lot of sense given the unknowns at the moment. Baltimore at Cincinnati for the second week in a row. 
This time around, the Bengals minus six and a half, total 43 and a half. Sumo, looking at this side, that number of Bengals minus six and a half hasn't budged since it became widely available at a lot of the market-making shops. And I see a bit of a parallel here to the Dolphins-Bills game where it feels like we might be locked in in that price range until we get more clarity on the quarterback situation for Baltimore. Absolutely. We have three different options here. Tyler Huntley, Anthony Brown, or Lamar Jackson at maybe not 100% mobility. So based on the injury that he has, a, a PCL sprain, um, he should be back this week. But since his mobility is very important for him because he is one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the league, this injury matters more to him than it would be for other quarterbacks in the NFL. So he might not be at 100%. But there's also the possibility that Lamar Jackson is simply holding out for a new contract because they had the negotiations that um, did not solve anything before the season. He's playing um, um, basically to get a franchise tag next year. He obviously wants a, a new contract. And a few weeks ago, he saw that things could change very quickly in the NFL when you get injured, especially when you are a dual threat quarterback. So with the way that John Harbour has acted in press conferences lately and the fact that Lamar Jackson was DNP for five straight weeks, I think there is a non-zero chance that Lamar Jackson is simply holding out and might not end up playing despite being able to play. So we have a wide range of possibilities. If Lamar would play, this line is inflated towards the Ravens and should not be six and a half. If Huntley plays, this should move towards seven. And if Anthony Brown plays, this should move towards a 10. Um, the Ravens have a very good defense that plays the Bengals very well. So we might see a small adjustment over from last week, especially since Mark Andrews did not play um two or three defense defensive starters were out. So with Anthony Brown, we might see a split somewhere in the minus eight and a half, minus nine kind of range with Hundley in the minus seven range. And with Lamar Jackson, I expect it to, to move towards the three. But without knowing how Lamar Jackson looks in practice in terms of, uh, of his full availability, I, we might not see this going towards three. As a better who's not afraid to get down on teasers from time to time, I do hope that Cincinnati gets bumped up to the range of seven and a half to eight and a half if we know it's not going to be Lamar. Of course, if we knew that now, then it would just be great to bet the Bengals against the spread or on the money line at this stage. But if we get that news and the market pushes the Bengals into teaser territory, and to your earlier point, the Jags get back into that plus one and a half range pending positive news on Mike Williams. This might be a week where despite a short, short card, only six games, we could have an advantage Wong teaser in play. So I will keep my fingers crossed for that. But Sumo, while we're talking Ravens, Bengals, I also wanted to address the total here. Opener of 44 and a half down to 43 and a half. How much of that do you think, again, kind of like the Miami Buffalo game is driven by quarterback uncertainty? And how much of it in this case might be the third matchup of the season between these two teams and the second in as many weeks? 
Yeah, so divisional rematches, I think there is a small trend towards the under in general, whether it's familiarity or teams playing tighter or what, whatever. I don't want to dig into potential causal reasons for that. But yes, I think a Bengals teaser makes sense because there is, I think, the possibility that the Bengals will either close above the minus six and a half or still have a very good chance of winning if Lamar plays. So if Lamar plays, you will have negative closing line value if you are logging a, a teaser right now, for sure. But you might be willing to gamble on the wide range of, of outcomes here and the potential holdout that Lamar Jackson might pull out this week. Um, so yes, uh, if you take a teaser now at minus 0.5, it's not technically a wrong teaser, but you're looking to, to get um, CLB later. And w w with the total, I think it's it's the same story as in Buffalo. If it's Huntley or um, Anthony Brown, <coughs> we should expect a little bit more under money. If it's Lamar Jackson, we should expect a little bit more over money. And Matt, while we talked about the charters and them being almost completely healthy, I just got a tweet notification that the um, return window for Roshan Slater has been opened. Um, so Roshan Slater might be back at some point during the playoffs, maybe even this week. And Mike Williams is considered day-to-day. -day. So there is a small chance that the Chargers are going to be 100% healthy on offense this week. Wow, despite Brandon Staley's best efforts, given the way he handled Week 18 in Denver, that is music to my ears. I will keep my fingers crossed on that front as well as a Chargers fan. But sticking with the broader playoff picture here, moving from some teaser talk with Ravens-Bengals to a game that is trending toward teaser territory in its own right on Monday night, rounding out the Super Wildcard Weekend slate, the Cowboys at the Bucks. Dallas currently laying two and a half. They are juiced as a favorite, so not the classic advantage teaser model, but we have seen some bucks money come in so far to get this game off of the three. So if that could continue, then people who missed the boat on Tampa plus three could still have a clean path going the teaser route. As far as the total goes, we're currently looking at 44 and a half. Suma, with Dallas opening minus three at a lot of books, again, Tampa Bay money taking that down to a juicy two and a half across the board. I'm curious for your thoughts on the fact that, as far as I can tell, Circa and Pinnacle are the only books in the world that haven't touched the three at any point in this game. I'm reminded of the fact that on Sunday afternoon, at least afternoon Pacific time, when the Seahawks beat the Rams to knock the Lions out of the playoffs, almost every book went up to Detroit plus six, at least flashed a six at a certain point. Circa, the only book I saw that didn't go to that number to me, that would imply that if we see Tampa Bay plus three, even at minus 120 VIG, if we see that number return at some of the non-market making books, that would imply to me that a stance from books like Circa and Pinnacle is telling us the value on Tampa Bay when we look at the side here. I 100% agree with you, Matt. Um, just tells us another time for the, I don't know, 100th time that Circa <laughs> is the sharpest book on planet earth and yes th they are dealing at two and a half because they know that there is a lot of sharp money potentially waiting for a potential Tampa bay plus three um there was a lot of talk about this game on, on social media especially on gaming on gambling twitter i think jeffrey benson had a tweet about where this might potentially open 
And yes, I think this was exactly as expected. Uh, two and a half circa don't want to move off of that. They they will move off of that if they get a, a significant flood of Cowboys money. But right now, I think this number is telling us a clear-cut story that Tom Brady in the Bucks in this spot against the Cowboys um, will get a lot of interest from betters if if they become a, a three-flat uh, kind of uh, um, spread. Makes sense. Well, this is typically the time in the show when I would toss it back to you for Fabian's forecast. But as we alluded to earlier, you kind of gave us a couple hints along the way, especially in that Chargers-Jags game. I think moving forward, as we discuss every game on these shorter playoff cards, we can leave it to the listeners to read between the lines, so to speak, for the duration of the playoffs. And as a programming note, I want to let everybody know, next episode of Props and Hops, Still working on a few details, so final information to be confirmed. I'm cautiously optimistic that Thursday night or Friday morning Eastern time, we will have something in your podcast feed, and I will tease it by saying that if you've enjoyed the prop shows all season long, odds are you won't be disappointed with our plan for the playoffs. But Zuma, we can go ahead and wrap up this show by acknowledging it's just the two of us today. I want to thank Jacob for his invaluable contributions to the show all season long. He's got some other obligations to tend to for the playoffs, but he will always be part of the props and hops and between the lines family. Suma, I want to thank you for staying on board to finish what we've started here. And to the audience, if you found value in this conversation with Suma and you're not doing so already, wake up and follow Suma on Twitter at Suma810. That's S-U-U-M-A-810. You can find me there at mlandis18. And I think throughout the playoffs, I'll look to weave in the hops weekly on that Twitter profile through Super Sunday. And the hops might come a bit early this week, as tonight I will be my brother's plus one at the holiday staff party for my favorite brewery, Green Cheek Beer Company. So plenty of fun to come in the way of hops, as well as playoff football this week and in the weeks to come. So once again, thank you, Jacob. Thank you, Suma. Last but not least to the audience. Thank you for tuning into this episode, and I'll catch you again later this week. Robinson.